0: You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference With us, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics, that's me. Do you wanna know a dirty little secret in American healthcare? Medical errors. (laughs) There are 10,000 medical errors that happen every day in healthcare. Most aren't too serious, it's not a big deal. But what if every week 6737s full of passengers went down? What if 34 full movie theaters of the biggest megaplex in your hometown burned down every week? 34 houses full of people. That's how many people we lose to serious medical errors. The more serious ones are lo- we're losing 700 a day. And to put that in some kind of context, everybody's reading about opioid deaths. That's not even 20% of that number. So, and it's getting no headlines. The reason it's getting no headlines is because coroners have different ways of measuring it in each state. Not every medical error death is recorded as a medical error death. So here's the interesting thing is that what is the key driver of medical errors? It's physician burnout, what we're going to talk about today with our guest. Your PCP likely has physician burnout. There's over a 50% chance they do. In fact, four of the top six most burned out physician categories are PCPs, primary care physicians. Four in 10 of all specialists have it too, but they're not the ones with the worst burnout. It's female doctors. In fact, female doctors have 60% higher suicide rates than the next category next to them. So doctors right now are committing suicide at a rate double that of our American veterans, which are in the headlines again. Uh, But physicians, used to be dentists, but it's now physicians and female physicians are particularly at risk. Okay, so what drives burnout? We're going to get into that today. We have somebody who's not only surveyed it from a little different angle from most people and has an interesting take, but she's deeply involved in the healing process as well as a psychiatrist. So my solve is going to be a little different from her solve, but I want to hear what she has to say, so I'm not going to talk about mine quite yet. Welcome to the show, Tori Sipa. Dr. Tori is a psychiatrist. She has a physician-focused practice. She and Dr. Schatzmiller co-founded the Physician to Physician Healing, the Practice of Medicine in 2017. It's a closed online virtual peer-to-peer burnout prevention forum for physicians, and it's close to 2,000 members. Her life's work, and soon her new book will fit this show perfectly because we really focus on this issue because it is solvable. The secret lives of physicians, she knows. The studies, she knows a whole different angle on the studies that surprised me. And her studies don't measure what everybody else's studies measure. Tori, welcome to the show. I can't wait to talk about this.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I I genuinely appreciate it.
0: I would like to know what led you in your medical career to gravitate towards this particular issue.
1: I, I actually first started to study this and look into it. Before we really were talking about this publicly, it, it, it was in 2012. Honestly, <clears throat> I had to define. I had to keep telling people, you know, have you heard of burnout? Uh, it was it was very controversial to discuss it. Um, we have a very uh, our culture in medicine is a one that is built on stoic- stoicism and um, a lot has gone into um, even reaching this point of having this discussion, where we are we are even talking about burnout. And this is this is after a decade of research that some of us and some some great physicians have been doing research on this. Um, in 2012, I just uh, noticed I think it was the third uh, physician suicide. Um, I I knew about um, in training, and I started to just wonder uh, what was happening um, and what we were. What I was concerned about um, our profession from that perspective. Also, one of the I'm not sure if you know this, but I started actually in primary care. I I was a family physician. in, at Kaiser Permanente I was a resident and I deeply, deeply respect family physicians and I, I really have a love for primary care. My decision to switch and transfer into a second year psychiatry position was one based on really wanting to uh, increase access um, to sec- in psychiatry which is even shorter uh, even even more limited i'm sorry than primary care. I only found that out actually when I was already in residency, but nonetheless, I came from primary care and it's unique because I had the opportunity to experience a specialty in primary care by my third year, which went in two thousand and twelve i was i should have been i was nearing the end, I had less call than I had before um, I was, I had a little bit more freedom, you know, I was working not 80 hours, but 60 hours. Um, I could pick up my kids, you know, yet I was not feeling any less, this is the key, burnt out. I was physically uh, not as tired, but yet something didn't still feel right. And that's when I started to look at this phenomenon because there there were no definitions at the time. We were not really addressing what happens um, when we get, when we are still going through, I'm sorry, what happens throughout the physician experience once we get through our grueling um, physical training component you know of, of staying awake and etc then what didn't seem to me like it was as um, it was quite as as easy as, as I thought it was gonna be and that that's when it started
0: your um, psychiat- psychiatric practice has an inordinate amount of physicians in it that are talking about burnout um, how do they come to find you guys
1: um, yes, I. we now have 2300, about 2,300 physicians in the group, and it's important um, to state that the group is a non, non-profit. There's no fees associated with the group. There's no, you just have to be a physician or a medical student in an um, allopathic or osteopathic medical school. We don't have any kind of, um, there's no self-promotion of any coaching or any, nothing. So there's no profits to be made on the suffering of physicians. I just wanted to be really clear about that because this is really based on an evidence-based intervention. Um, You know, everyone has, what I see is there's tons and tons of, things being thrown at physicians to solve their burnout. Um, and these are usually costly. And And what we're trying to do is actually provide something that is research-backed, uh, based, sorry, this is evidence-based, and it's accessible, it's free. And we actually started it by just online, um, Facebook, you know, has... Become a very important forum for physicians. Um, it's closed, obviously, so and we we really go through a pretty rigorous screening process of independently um, <clears throat> confirming physician status. So we and we monitor the posts and 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 the interactions daily. There's four of us now who are monitoring and. And we're, so we're very careful about how, about the privacy issues, et cetera. So people have to find us usually, and once they're in the group, um, that's when the conversations start happening. Now, physicians do then contact us individually, and some will ask for more help. Um, Since that's been happening more and more, we've put together a list of psychiatrists throughout the country um, who have expe- either experience treating physicians or are very interested in treating physicians and we now you know can at least call upon those psychiatrists and refer make a referral quickly to these physicians um, to remove the barrier and you know, make it easier than cold calling and et cetera. Because what we're finding is that um, 85%, 85% of physicians who complete suicide were not receiving any treatment for depression or anxiety. So that's a, that's pretty compelling.
0: Yeah. What is, what is, you know, you talk about evidence-based solutions. What are we, what do we know works to either ameliorate or to eliminate?
1: Great question. Oh, very so, very little. So that's a great question. Um, we know very little that works, and one of the one of the there are a few things, and I think that's a great question. One of the big things that has consistently shown um, to be effective in even randomized controlled trials now is peer to peer support. So it's a true peer group, meaning physicians without any administrators, for example, or supervisors in a group. Ideally, um, this would be one hour a week during the work week. And uh, and the studies have shown that when a group of physicians are given one extra hour a week to do whatever they wish to do versus an hour a week of peer-to-peer support, those who were provided with the hour of peer-to-peer support have lower b- burnout scores those who had the hour off actually end up with higher burnout scores so um, so peer-to-peer support is really significant we we're trying to emulate that through an online you know doctor's lounge if you will it's not perfect it's not ideal but know, it, it is a start.
0: So I really remember how easy it was to make friends in high school and college and how for some reason it just got harder as we became adults. You know, maybe it's we're less tender, maybe we're less vulnerable, maybe we're just a little bit hardened around the edges, but something happens and suddenly now you have kids and maybe you make friends with other parents with their kids age, but Once we get even past that, it gets much harder to make friends in your thirties and forties and fifties. And um, there's a big loneliness epidemic in medicine, and I think in America too. Don't you think?
1: So absolutely, actually, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, One of the um, one of the characteristics that have been identified with physician suicide is isolation and loneliness. Um, You know, there are only 740,000 physicians who are licensed and practicing in the United States, Um, and that's based on the American Medical Association's census in 2015. So that's not a lot for a geographical distribution that's quite broad. And there's a huge transition that takes place from medical school and residency, an eight-year period where we're truly concentrated, you know, almost in four foot by four foot space with each other most of the time. You know, we spend most of our waking hours with each other for, you know, eight years, and then all of a sudden we're thrust, you know, across the country alone now. Um and we that is when we're actually seeing uh the suicide rates, um, the, the higher suicide rates in in physicians who are post training and it's not uh not surprising because physicians do not necessarily open up with open up to other um not to non-physicians, including family members, because of several key um, and important reasons. One is privacy of patients, and it's not that we disclose HIPAA to um, other physicians, but it is we don't feel perhaps as judged if we explain how we might feel about a difficult patient encounter. With another physician, um, we all, you know, we can kind of let some steam off, perhaps, with another physician, and with greater ease. Uh, we also, uh, you know, are able to, you know, have have that understanding with somebody else, which we can't necessarily um, with non physicians. There are no more doctors' lounges, really, in the United States. Um, those. Those are a thing of the past. Lunchtime together used to be a very critical component of hospitals, and a doctor's lounge was where those lunches were had. Those are almost all gone now, and so we are—we've lost that time to have conversations. Um, now, the only time you can really do that is if in an elevator together, the elevator closes, it's just you and another physician between floors, before anybody gets in, you might be able to have that conversation.
0: So there is a um, bigger problem than medical errors with burnout. And that is that we are going to not be able to attract our best and brightest anymore into the profession. What What are some of the other problems associated with if we don't solve this problem what we can be looking at in the next five to 10 years in medicine?
1: Great, that's a great question. Um, you know, while we don't yet have, a, it's gonna be impossible to directly link physician burnout with suicide because I just can't think of an elegant study that would allow us to do that. I mean, we, we just, it's just gonna be impossible to do it. But I believe we can really, we can look at these two as as we could, if we were to put them onto, um, you know, a diagram, we're going to see these two rising, you know, at pretty much on the same plane, and we can associate these two as having <clears throat> physicians having a high risk factor for both. And the effects of physician suicide on patient care is not insignificant because of the number of physicians in the United States and the productivity of physicians. Each physician has about 3,000 patient contacts per year. Due to physician suicides alone, the the United States loses over 1 million patient contacts a year. That's just in one year. Most physicians who are completing suicides are in the prime of their careers. So this is all additive, right? Or 1 million per year um, that's just one year so we're losing we're losing a lot of patient contacts as well so this is really becoming a public health problem now and then there's other i hate to focus on financial costs but <clears throat> you know there are there are financial considerations um, institutions are you know the bottom line is important for institutions because it affects care for everyone and physicians who have burnout syndrome are more likely to change their job every two years job, so recruiting new recruiting a physician and onboarding them is co- it actually is very costly to the tune of $250,000 each time Now, the cost of physician burnout to institutions is not at all uh, insignificant. In fact, there's a pretty good study that's come out that that can show you, based on the percentage of your physicians who are burnt out, how much of of your revenue is going to be spent on just recruitment and retainment. Um, So there's a financial burden. And then, of course, we also have the errors which you pointed out, and and then, you know, how it links to, you know, suicide and the loss of our patient contact.
0: My next guest that'll be on the show after this one is a graduate of a residency program that's affiliated with Harvard. His career before that was stellar from an academic perspective. He attended all the right schools. Um, He watched his five best friends that all wanted to be doctors in high school, I'll go into other professions one by one by one for sort of obvious reasons that once you listen to them you'll understand but the burnout appears to happen even before the residency starts in other words medical school is not pointing anybody towards primary care or uh, pointing towards any other models that are working in care that are maybe creative and and then residency doesn't expose them to the models that there are many primary care physicians, and that's sort of my focus, that, have make, that can make a living that's double or triple the typical take-home, and they just have to rethink the model. So my, my fix is really maybe, I mean, if direct primary care, we all know physicians that are doing the VIP or concierge or direct primary care model, and those guys and gals are much happier, have a lighter patient load, don't have billing and coding, and they can take home really whatever they want to get their volume up to
1: ron it makes me think that either you're brilliant or you really you've done your homework really well because um you're like about four steps ahead of anyone who really is actually anyone in any company i've seen addressing burnout so there the the we've identified the three primary causes of physician burnout syndrome and They have nothing to do with the physician. And this is what I keep saying. Um, You know, there's been this emphasis that physicians, you know, who are burnt out are just not resilient enough, or they've lost their mojo, you know, or they, you know, that woman had to go and have a baby, you know, so she's just kind of now she's too preoccupied with her, you know, life at home. And uh, no, no, and no. So it's a, the problem of physician burnout—we we know this now. We have studies. Are number one, loss of autonomy. So this is huge. There is a there's a disconnect between the amount the uh, amount of responsibility, as well as the scope of that responsibility. In, in proportion to the authority a physician has. So while the Medical Board and the American Board of Medical Specialties will hold a physician responsible for having the final say and word for patient care, most of the time, a physician in, in any system has no say on, in their schedule, for example. so. That is incongruent. Um, second uh, con- uh, contributor or second leading cause of physician burnout syndrome. You know the elephant in the room, the biggest disappointment we've had: electronic medical records. Um, we have a study that just came out from JAMA, in JAMA that shows physicians spend, physicians spend two hours charting for every one hour they spend face to face with a patient. And this is a great a great point of place where we can look at becoming creative and implementing an intervention when you ask me, what are some of those evidence-based interventions? Well, we actually have some, some studies now where we can implement inter, um, interventions here, such as scribes. So more and more, you we know, have studies coming out showing scribes reduce physician burnout, improve patient experiences, and increase efficiency. So we're we starting, we know I'm very optimistic actually. I love being a physician. I love taking care of patients. And I believe we can make this we can make this a better experience. We just have to trust physicians to increase their autonomy and allow them to address, address these issues um, in a creative way and improve care.
0: Listen, if I'm a physician hearing you say that, I'm going to say, I'm going to go talk to my boss and he's going to tell me to shove it. Thank you very much, Dr. Tori Sipa. Of
1: course, absolutely.
0: So what's the third leading cause? The
1: third leading cause. We've got
0: autonomy, we've got EHR.
1: That's right. Well, so those are, so the third one is, what, what we say with the third one is, those are the two big significant ones that we've identified. There are the third one, I, I, there are multiple studies that identify. So leadership. I'm just going to kind of go ahead and say it. Leadership. Um, there are chain, There are leadership styles, and there is a particular leadership style, um, and that would be another 30 minute. Uh, I would have, be happy to come back. <laughs> That's a if that's a that's a very important topic. Um, we are really, really. In, I'm very interested in promoting physician leadership as well at the at the you know at a medical director level. Um, this is something we're really trying to encourage physicians. You know, the next speaker who's coming on, for example, um, one of the things we actually want medical. I I mentor a lot of med students, medical students. One of the things we really want to get going in medical school is you know, empower medical students to start becoming leaders at that level. You know, you start, if you don't, you don't raise your hand, you don't go to a committee meeting, you don't start engaging, you are going to feel disempowered. You're going to have a lack of autonomy. You're not going to be have a seat at the big boy table. You can't impact any change. And we don't learn how to do any of that. We absolutely don't in medical school. Then we feel very disempowered in residency. Once we get to, a, we don't look at our contracts when we sign them. Then we're, you know, all of a sudden five years into a job and we're 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 stuck. And so, this needs to start. These conversations need to start a lot lot sooner. And leadership is significant. So that's a big, big component of it. Um, there are leadership trials and those are important.
0: So let me just have you think through what what would our society look like if we had zero burnout if every doctor loved their job and could really focus on their patients what is the literal opposite of where we're at now What is that what would that look like just in a sentence or two
1: ah that's a great i love that um well one of the i think one of the maybe it's important and i think i do this with physicians uh, as well, one of the first things I do, I define physician burnout because I believe it's misused a great deal. It's not stress, and it's not physical exhaustion. We all have stress. I'll always have some stress. Um, And in fact, it's it's not physical exhaustion because resident duty hours have gone down significantly, even since I was a resident, yet burnout, physician burnout, has actually gone up. so it's, there is, that connection is actually not there. We have a definition for physician burnout syndrome, and it's, um, it's a syndrome involving three parameters. It's emotional exhaustion. So that, that's when you have nothing else to give to your patients. And then something called depersonalization, which basically, you we've all had a doctor like this in the ER usually, or in urgent care, and I'm not misaligning any kind of specialty. It's just they're very, very, very over. They have a lot of burnout. Um, Negative or cynical attitude towards patients. Um, They see them as often, um, you know, malingering, making, you know, faint symptoms. And then the third component is a low sense of personal accomplishment, um, feeling that they are behind. They're not as good as other doctors that they are just gonna fail anyway. These three are really the crux of physician burnout syndrome and we have a validated tool to measure these. It's called the Mass Life Burnout Inventory. Um, What I would see if, if we had a workforce that had a good control of these three parameters, I believe what we would be experiencing is patients who were more compliant with their care, their appointments, their immunizations, their medication adherence, because they would be able to feel comfortable asking their physicians questions, they would feel heard, they would feel, their physicians would also feel empowered to make appointments that were needed, See them as I have the time to see them. They wouldn't be focused on a computer screen, so that the connection with the patient would be greater, and the trust would thus be enhanced. Um, Their patient, also the physician, I think, would be more confident. One of the things I think we're lacking right now, truly lacking, is physicians and patients have lost that trust between them. Um, you can see that with the whole um, uh, immunization, you know, kind of backlash right now. And, you know, I look at that and I say, you know, there's something, there's a reason behind this. And we have, they, there have been so many barriers now placed between us and our patients. You know, there's a huge computer screen for one, but there's now four people, patients have to call before they can talk to us. And by the time, get to us, you know, they're really angry, actually, by the time they get to us, and then we have five minutes. Um, So what I would say is, building that trust back is actually related to those three components I just just said. If a physician doesn't feel emotionally exhausted, doesn't have negative attitude toward their patient, feels like they're not incompetent, they're going to be empowered, confident, and I believe patients are going to feel that.
0: So before I ask my last stumper question, tell me, Tori, how people from, can find you.
1: Oh, yes. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's Tori Seppa, M-D, T-O-R-I-E. On Facebook, our group is called Physician to Physician, Healing the Practice of Medicine. You can request as a physician or medical student to be added. And then a series of questions from one of us will come to you to verify your physician status, including your MPI. And once you're in you're you know, you're in.
0: Okay, so here's my trick question. And some people, they just get stumped and say goodbye, Ron. I'm not gonna answer that, but I'm gonna see how you do. You can fly a banner over America and give a single message. What would that single message be?
1: A single banner over, oh, that's a good one. I love that. Ron, why didn't you tell me you were gonna ask me that though? That would, I would, I would like <laughs> little separation.
0: You know what's going to happen. Next time we interview, you're going to have like two answers for that question. And you'll
1: have. Yeah, I would say, you know what I would say is uh, just anything is possible. I, I really believe that anything is possible. I came to this country at the age of seven from a country that was in a revolution. I didn't speak English, I went to medical school at 30. You know anything is possible so physician burnout also um is something that i do believe is um is something that can be not only be resolved but i think through it we're gonna have better delivery of healthcare.
0: so you sound on a final note optimistic about the future of burnout
1: i'm a very optimistic physician <laughs> Okay. Otherwise, I've kind of worked in corrections for five years. So.
0: All right, Tori. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We'll do this another time, and I appreciate your time and uh, thank you for listening.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.